Today on Ag News Daily. We think about digital agriculture and there's a lot of companies that, that do a lot of different things. Um, but as you look at maybe a, you know either a grower or maybe a ag retail professional organization, a service provider, if you will. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined today by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, it looks like more inclement weather is on the way for folks down in the Gulf Coast area from Hurricane Sally. You know, Delaney, I actually read up on that as well today. And I actually read an article about Hurricane Sally being on path to hit the largest grain shipping region in the U.S. And I Yes, I didn't realize this, but New Orleans is home to some pretty key ports for the majority of U.S. soybeans and corn. In fact, Mike Steenhoek with the Soy Transportation Coalition says 15 vessels left those ports just last week. So I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on those ports and how they are going to be affected by Hurricane Sally. It is only a Category 2 hurricane at this point, or it's expected to be, I think. So hopefully it's not going to be too big or too impactful on that region. Hopefully it'll be kind of slow moving, similar to Hurricane Harvey, which occurred, I believe, last year, maybe a few years ago. Yeah, and I wanted to follow up with that a little bit more. You're right, Ashton, in saying that this area is a huge grain exporting area. That port of Louisiana and New Orleans there is a big one, a really important one for us to get grain out of the U.S. and into other areas, especially China. It's a big port that ships to China. And so on Monday evening, we actually saw some of those ports and transportation, the river, Mississippi River specifically, shut down northbound or southbound. And so the entire lower Mississippi River is shut down for the foreseeable future until we really see Hurricane Sally hit and uh, evaluate the damage there. You know, hopefully the port doesn't get hit too terribly. And like you said, there's only a Category 2. So you know, unless something changes, hopefully nothing gets damaged too bad. But about 60% of U.S. corn and soybean exports move through that region, 60%. That is a really large number, Delaney, and coming, you know, just really in time for harvest season. So definitely going to keep an eye out on how that affects the markets and how it affects, you know, those farmers and producers who might not be able to export their grain. Yeah, it's uh, definitely going to be something that we're going to have to keep an eye on because we talk about it right now and it doesn't seem like a big market mover. But when you consider how much China has been stepping in and buying and the fact that we are nearing harvest and going to need to get that crop out and about, it could definitely have some long term effects in the marketplace. Definitely, Delaney, but I want to move things over to global ethanol production. I read a headline earlier today that global ethanol production is not expected to recover to pre-pandemic levels until 2022, so I definitely wanted to bring this to your attention, but that ethanol production is expected to be 20% lower this year as we continue to go through the COVID-19 pandemic. The U.S. Grain Council stated earlier today that recovery and output back to pre-pandemic levels will not occur for another two years or so. And about 23 billion liters of ethanol production has been lost in 2020, which has shuttered more than 250 ethanol plants across the globe. 
Brian Healy, the director of global ethanol market production for the U.S. Grains Council, said that earlier today at the Platts APPEC 2020 virtual conference. And U.S. ethanol production, however, has nearly recovered from the worst of pre-pandemic, or not pre-pandemic, but the worst of the pandemic and is currently 10% lower compared with the levels for August 16th, 2019. Healy added that as well at that conference. But beyond 2020, policy implementation will remain a key factor for ethanol demand. Adding that, Healy adding that implementation delays have started in some markets that had announced significant expansions to their ethanol use policies over the last two years. So this kind of rattled my brain a little bit because, of course, everything going on in the global pandemic right now, it is a domino effect. But 2022, man, that's just seems like light years away from where we are now. But because I still feel like we're in March 2020, but kind of just shocked me a little bit. And I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not overly shocked about that. We know ethanol hasn't been doing well for quite a while now. I am maybe a little more shocked at the timeline they put it on. I'm even surprised that they would put it on a timeline, to be quite honest. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit more surprised, I guess, than you are, just because I don't have as much knowledge on the ethanol industry, you know, as you would. But I just wanted to kind of talk about that with you and, you know, see what our listeners think about that. Listeners, if you have any opinions on this timeline, definitely tweet at us or, you know, message us on Facebook at Ag News Daily. Absolutely. And, you know, another issue that I want to do a quick follow-up on here that you can always reach out to us and share your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter is U.S. Ambassador to China, Terry Branstad, taking a step back. I saw CNN report this yesterday after we discussed it on the podcast, but apparently Ambassador Branstead has been asked to make his trip back here to the United States and retire from his post as ambassador to China because he is needed on the campaign trail for President Trump and needed to help close the presidency, it sounds like, for President Trump. Of course, this was CNN reporting this. They did not uh, get confirmation from Branstead's office or any of his folks, but that was the assertion that they were starting to make is he's needed back here statewide to rally the troops, so to speak, ahead of this year's election. Well, that's definitely interesting. I'm glad that we kind of got a little bit of a follow-up pretty quickly there. And I also have a follow-up about the African swine fever report that I have been talking about in Germany Another five cases of African swine fever have been found in wild boars in the eastern German state of Brandenburg. The cases were found in dead wild boars, not farm animals, close to the location of the first case of ASF in a wild boar confirmed last week that I had mentioned on the podcast. So from the sounds of it, definitely not hitting farm animals just yet. But with wild boars running around, there's no telling if they have come into contact with those farm animals. Initial tests were positive, but final tests are underway for confirmation in Germany's Frederick Loeffler Scientific Institute. 
And China and a series of other pork buyers, of course, have banned imports from German pork in the past few days after the first case was confirmed. So it's looking like it's just running through some wild boars at the moment. But I will continue to keep an eye on that because I'm interested to see whether or not they have come into contact with livestock animals that are being produced for pork. So there's really no saying right now on whether or not these farm animals have come into contact with African swine fever. But again, I'm just going to keep an eye out on that story. So they're testing final confirmations for what now? I'm not sure I 100% followed. So I guess they're trying to do a a series of tests just to be absolutely positive that it is Mm -hmm. African swine fever. So initial tests were positive, but final tests are underway for the confirmation that it is African swine fever. But I, if the initial test is positive, I don't know why they would run further tests, but that is just what has been reported. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Well, I tell you what, Ashton, I have just one other quick piece of news here before we chat markets, and it's following up here on a WTO piece that we've been slowly following here over the past year and a half or so. And so a WTO panel, World Trade Organization panel, ruled on Tuesday that the United States broke its international commitments by circumventing the WTO dispute and hitting China in 2018 with tariffs on about $234 billion worth of goods. So you'll think back, I mean, two years ago now, that's crazy to think. But uh, March of 2018, when President Trump put in some of those initial tariffs in place that evoked a WTO dispute brought forth by China. And so, of course, they brought it to WTO's attention. And now it appears that the World World Trade Organization has ruled in China's favor. The next steps here, I suppose you could say, are a little unclear, but the initial steps or what happens next is a little unclear here. I assume that the United States will be to or probably will likely appeal this decision. Um, But I think, you know, a couple of things that could happen are we could see fines, we could see tariffs, other things like that. Or maybe China is just ultimately using this as some sort of negotiation piece here as we move forward with kind of a phase two type of agreement. But we will continue to watch this story. Uh, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer said that the ruling was being used by China to try to prevent the U.S. from defending itself against unfair Chinese practices. So it's really a tit-for-tat situation here. And maybe nothing will even come of this uh, WTO hearing, but that is one thing I wanted our listeners to be aware of today. Definitely, Delaney. And like you said, we will continue to keep an eye out on it. But other than that, I'm not keeping my eye out on any other news headlines for the day. Neither am I, except for what is going on in the markets today. After trading higher on the day, soybeans did pull back today on the day and finished lower. So let's take a look where things are ending for the day. And actually, before we do that, I also wanted to make quick note here of the crop conditions report, because I saw those come in yesterday afternoon after we recorded the podcast. And it looked like the trade was expecting conditions to remain relatively the same. But we actually saw for the nation's corn crop, 
They came in at 60% good to excellent, which is down a percentage point from the previous week. And soybeans also lost actually two percentage points. Uh, the nation was came in, the nation came in at 63% good to excellent, down two percentage points from the week prior. So Iowa, of course, you know, lost quite a bit of their ratings. And um Respectively, Minnesota and Wisconsin soybeans saw some of the highest ratings that they have seen yet this year. So that all factored into today's trading session and brought us lower, a little breath of fresh air, if you'd like to call it that, for today's markets. But let's kick things off here to start with the corn contract. The December corn contract traded three and a half cents lower today to close at 366 flat, while the March uh, lost three and a quarter cent to close at 375 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the November contract shed seven and three quarters to close at 991 and three quarters. The January down seven and a penny to close at 996 even. In the wheat pits, also pulling back on the day as the December contract shed seven and a half cents to close at 538 and a quarter. The March down seven and a half as well to close at 547 on the nose. In the in the cattle complex, mixed trading on the day as the October contract added 22.5 cents to close at 107.10. The December shed 12.5 cents to close at 111.57 and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, the September contract, let's actually September's near expiration, so let's chat October here, added $1.10 to close at 143.70. The November, 92.5 cents higher to close at 144.12.5. In the lean hog pits, again, some mixed trading as the October contract added $1.07 to close at $65.70. The December losing $0.52.5 to close at $63.05. And rounding out our markets with the Class 3 dairy milk futures, October shedding $0.61 cents on the day to close at $18.62. The November down $0.32 cents to close at $17.33. Without further ado, Ashton, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. Today, we're talking to Ben Johnson from Farmer's Edge. Today, for our hashtag Tech Tuesday segment, we have Ben Johnson, who is the U.S. Product Marketing Manager for Farmer's Edge. Ben, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Oh, my pleasure. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your job? Because from my understanding, Farmer's Edge is pretty global because your headquarters are in Winnipeg, Canada. You're based in Iowa. So what exactly do you do and um, kind of coordinate with, you know, working in a global company? Right. So I am the U.S. product marketing manager, like you said. So I, I do a lot of marketing activities, but those activities... Um, they, they kind of stretch far and wide. So I, I do everything from, you know, I make videos to put on social media, uh, also advertisements as well. But then I also do some direct marketing as well. I, I go out, I visit customers sometimes. I visit uh, partners. I also visit prospective partners. And, you know, I really get a sense of, of what's going on in the industry. So um I get a sense of what's going on at the uh, the ground level. I get I get feedback with how people are are using our products, and then I take that to the uh, product team who actually builds our products, and help help guide and direct them on how we need to build our product. Um, then they go out and they build the product, and when they have something great, I I take it and I tell the world about it as well. It's exciting that you get to take feedback back to your team, share with them what you hear from folks, kind of 
quote unquote, on the ground and then make changes as you see fit. But, you know, Farmer's Edge has been around for a little while now. And surprisingly, we've never had you guys on the podcast, even though for your space, you're a pretty big player. But for those of our listeners who have not heard of Farmer's Edge or aren't super familiar with what you guys do, give us the 10,000 foot view. The 10,000 foot view. um, Well, we think about digital agriculture and there's a lot of companies that, that do a lot of different things. Um, but as you look at maybe, uh, you know, either a grower or maybe a ag retail professional organization, a service provider, if you will, um, there's a lot of tools that we use, but they don't quite all encompass everything. And there's missing pieces and we have to bridge a lot of gaps. Uh, so at Farmer's Edge, we, we try to bridge those gaps and we, we try to uh, offer a, a complete offering. So it's everything from uh, daily satellite imagery. Uh, we, we also have a vast weather station network that's, uh, that is on farm, on actual growers' actual farms. And then we also have a, a device that we call a can plug, which is a telematics device that fits in any color of machine and can send data wirelessly up to the cloud uh, for, for storage and, and for easy viewing as well. Uh, then we also have some, some agronomy tools as well, where we can uh, take soil samples either by uh, using a grid-based approach, or we can also uh, do a zone-based approach where we use uh, satellite imagery to, to find areas of the field that behave similarly, and then sample those areas um, to, to kind of get a more accurate representation of the field. Because Mother Nature didn't make, uh, make fields with straight lines in them, so um, that's why we take that approach. Um, but then we also have our own lab in, in Grimes, Iowa, uh, where we do a very extensive uh, level of, of soil sample, or soil testing there. Then we can take all of these pieces and put them together into one platform uh, that's easy to view, and, and we can see all of our information and really make sense of it. And that's really where this power um, in, in all this data is, is being able to see things and being able to uh, make correlations like, hey, I'm seeing something in imagery. Let me go back and look at my as-applied information to see if it was something I applied or if there's overlap. Or, hey, I saw something in my scouting records. Did that make a difference in yield? You know, it's those sorts of things. And so as we piece these together, um, there's a lot of power in that. And we can make some more uh, accurate decisions based on that. So, Ben, I saw on the Farmer's Edge website, in your grower solutions, you have imagery for specialty crops and imagery for broad acre crops. And now, I'm not too sure about the difference in between specialty crops and broad acre crops. And for for those of us, um, me included, and our listeners, what's the difference between, you know, your imagery for specialty crops and imagery for broad acre crops? How are are they different? Uh, Well, they're... There really isn't a difference because we're doing daily satellite imagery on, on both. Um, but I think it's important to just note that, you know, we're, we're servicing different uh, industry segments. So we, we can do the segment of broad acre crops like corn, soybeans, wheat, uh, you name it. But then we can also get into more specialty things like, like uh, we do service with a lot of trees like apples, uh, walnuts, uh, almonds, those sorts of things as well. Gotcha. You know, I had just never really heard the term broad acre crops before, but now that you say corn, you know, that uh, clarifies that a bit for me. But, you know, going into more of your grower solutions, can you tell me a little bit more about Farm Command? Because I was doing a little bit of looking on your website and it definitely seems like a very great comprehensive platform. Oh, it absolutely is. So Farm Command is our platform. And what makes Farm Command different is that it doesn't just focus in on imagery or equipment data or yield or any of those things. It it kind of focuses on all of them. 
So we have all these things coming into one place. So we've got our imagery coming into one place, our equipment data, our weather information. And we have a new system on there that we call Command Center that we just launched this summer. And we actually have a lot of filters where you can filter um, you know, by farm field. You can actually, if you're a service provider, you can have multiple farmers on there. And you can filter by crop. You can fill filter by even crop type if you want or variety. Um, and then you can load up imagery. You can load up machines and equipment paths, really anything to your heart's desire. And you can really get a, a good picture of a lot of different things going on in the field. And once again, using uh, that all that data in one place and, and seeing the power of that by you know getting the full picture. And Ben, you mentioned earlier on in the conversation that as part of your role, you get to work with farmers, you get to see, you know, what's working, what's not working and take that back to your team to hopefully put together new products or services. You know, what have you seen here over the past couple of months that has changed what Farmer's Edge is doing or, or maybe is creating some new products or solutions that you guys are working on? Oh, absolutely. So, uh, boy, there's <laughs> there's a lot of new things that we've been working on. And so, well, first off, that command center interface that I was talking about, that's pretty huge, uh, being able to pull all those things together and get a holistic view of things. One interesting thing that we have is our severe weather tool. And so what that is, it's uh, a tool where we can see where hail has fallen out in, in the countryside. And it's it's actually very accurate. And so we can see where, where these massive hailstorms have come through. Um, which in sometimes when we see massive hailstorms that come through, we, we kind of know where the severe damage is. But other in other cases, we have hailstorms that come through where maybe there's just some slight damage, and maybe maybe there's enough that there's a, a claim is warranted. But uh, you know, a grower might not necessarily be aware of that. But with with our, our severe weather notification, the grower will be, be notified of that, and also their insurance agent can be notified that of that as well. So we can start. The actual claim process um, a, a lot faster and, and more accurately as well. So instead of the adjuster going out there, you know, just kind of looking at the field and putting his thumb up and, and you know, licking his finger to testing the wind, uh, the wind speed, he'd be like, ah, there's 40 acres that are lost here. We can actually pull up where that storm went through. We can look at the imagery. We can actually uh, use some tools to measure around the areas that have been affected, and we can have a much more accurate insurance payout because of that. And, and tools like that are huge. Absolutely, Ben. It sounds like Farmer's Edge is onto some pretty great things. And so where can our listeners follow you guys on social media to keep up with what Farmer's Edge is doing? Yes, yeah, so you can follow us uh, at Farmer's Edge on Twitter and also on Instagram as well. Well, folks, again, that was Ben Johnson of Farmer's Edge. Ben, thanks again for coming on the show today. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right. Well, again, a big thank you there to Ben for joining us today talking Farmer's Edge. It's crazy to think they've been a company around for quite a few years and we've just now had them on for a Tech Tuesday. But uh, you know what? There's always great new companies coming out with cool stuff and they're definitely one of them. Absolutely. And, you know, you can go back and listen to our past Tech Tuesdays, even though they aren't from Farmer's Edge, but you can go and listen to those on our website at agnewsdaily.com and follow us along on social media to see what else we'll be talking about in the future at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.